I just kept trying to do better and I kept, I loved watching the scale. I weighed myself and I wouldn't recommend this to everyone. I weighed myself morning and night. And I learned so much in doing that. I learned that I could lose five pounds overnight and I could gain five pounds during the day, <laughs> you know? So, so I would wake up in the morning and that would be the weight that I would, you know, quote unquote, like record. But then when I went to bed at night, sometimes that was, you know, much higher, you know, especially depending on how hydrated I was and those kinds of things. And then I would weigh myself the next morning. And so I just learned my patterns and I watched it. And even though no matter what I was doing with my diet, meaning I kept continuing to improve it, I was losing eight pounds a month. And, and it was just every month. And sometimes I wouldn't lose weight for two weeks. And then all of a sudden it would, it would drop a couple of pounds and it would drop a couple more pounds and there would be the eight pounds, you know, for, for the month. And it, so it was just interesting to use the weight as a pretty objective measure and not to attach any emotion to it. I didn't feel good about myself when I lost weight and I didn't feel bad about myself when I didn't or when I gained a couple of pounds. I just watched this number because after the first two months, I just had so much confidence in the process that it was easy to just stick with it. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and each week we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. And today we have another powerful transformation story. Like so many stories, took a long time to begin. But once Anthony Massiello decided and stuck with it, he was able to realize the big permanent changes he lives today. Anthony is positively affecting the health of countless others by not only sharing his experiential wisdom with the world, but through plant-based telehealth whose mission is to see a world where plant-based lifestyle medicine is available to all. He is a nationally board-certified health and wellness coach, a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and he holds certifications in areas such as food addiction and plant-based nutrition. I can't even imagine if he didn't finally decide to change and then back it up with his actions. I'm sure it was difficult at times, but also in my experience, when the rewards start rolling in, you realize that there's no other way to go. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm super excited about our conversation. I'm super excited about our conversation too. So we started this plant-based telehealth, the doctor interviews with Dr. Lori Marbus, who is one of the co-founders, and you are the other one, but you are the one that came to the world with the seed. And you said, Lori, let's plant the seed and water it. And um, so, you know, you're the reason. Yeah, you're the reason why it exists. And I know that we'll dive into that, that, uh, that birth story. But I want to dive into your story um, because you had a massive transformation. Uh, you know, you've lost a hundred, about 160 pounds because you're not quite sure what your top weight was, right? Exactly. So, so I just estimated it's around there, and, and you know, exactly. Yeah. So let's dive in. Let's dive into you know where it all first started. Relationship with food when you were younger. Or how do you how do you see this all unfolding? Yeah, it's it's kind of confusing. I mean, I've I've had a lot of opportunities to go back and reflect and and kind of dissect things, and that's where I learned most of it. Because in it, um, you know, living it, it kind of surprised me because something happened. So uh, my mom and brother and I lived in North Carolina, and that's where I went to school. And then my father lived in New Jersey growing up. So. Almost the day after school let out, I was on a plane flying to New Jersey uh, for the summer. And then I would spend the summer with my dad. And then the day before school started, I was back on the plane flying down to North Carolina. And then I would go to school. So I wouldn't see all of the kids that I was going to school with for whatever that is, two and a half months or so over the summer. And my brother and I did that. So my brother and I were always together through the, you know, through these trips and we're only 13 months apart. So we're, you know, we're almost the same age. And so that when I came back to start the fifth grade, um, apparently I had gained some weight over the summer and because my friends noticed and they probably wouldn't have noticed if we would have been around each other all summer because these things don't happen overnight. But the fact that I was gone and then I came back, I mean, I guess I looked different than they remembered. And I remember my one friend asked me, he said, Anthony, how'd you get so fat over the summer? And I didn't know. And probably I didn't even realize I did because even for myself, it happened so gradually. Um, so, but, but, um, 
This was in the early 80s, and there weren't a lot of overweight kids in the school. So there, in fact, there were two in my grade, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, me and, and one other person. And, and, it, and it was a little bit of a thing. And it was enough of a thing where I started to kind of identify to myself. You know, I thought I started thinking about myself as, you know, the, the fat kid. And I only say that to, to you know, to emphasize that um, it did pose challenges. You know, there were things that were hard. I would think twice before I would approach a girl. You know, we were going roller skating on Friday nights, you know, and before I would go ask someone to couple skate, I would, you know, I started to think things to myself like, well, she's probably not going to want to, you know, couple skate with me, you know, that that kind of stuff. So, so I, I don't know. We, we talked briefly beforehand, you know, maybe someone could help me figure out where that, what all that means. But uh, for me, it's not even worth going into, but I just want to emphasize the fact that that's how kind of I identified growing up. Well, and it's like putting your worth on the shape of your body, right? So yeah. it's very, it's very surface level, but that's also, ah, that's such a, you're so much more than that, right? But are, right. and especially like, I, I remember that I, we're probably about the same age. I'm 49. And like, there was only, only a couple of kids that were leaning towards that overweight, obese right. uh, lifestyle. And I obviously, it's much different now. It's really wild to think about that. Like the norm was like healthy, fit, active kids. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And it was amazing. And I think we are the same age because I'm 49 and I'm trying to plan what I'm going to do for my 50th this year oh, <laughs> in, okay. in, in well, August. But I haven't started planning it. But but anyway, so, <laughs> so I'm sorry, I get off topic. <laughs> um, so that so growing up and, and looking back to what to, to what you just said, I probably would have looked pretty close to normal today you know, if I would have been in the fifth grade, you know, so I wasn't, it's not like I, I gained a hundred pounds over that summer. I don't know how much weight I gained, but the, the thing is, is that I started thinking that way. And I think that created, um, just more of the same. I just continued to identify that way. I probably, whether self subconsciously or otherwise, you know, continued to maybe eat in a way or live in a way that I just continued to gain weight. So I, I continue getting bigger. The part that I don't understand and I say is confusing is my brother, who I was with all the time, um, grew up lean, like lean and strong. And we were in kind of the same environment. So I don't know if there is something different, you know, about my metabolism versus his metabolism. I've learned enough now to know that whatever it was doesn't matter because I've learned how I could do something about it. And I can um, and I was able to, um, I guess recover from it. Yeah, we, we experienced that a lot. The why we, we get, we get stuck yeah. in the why you can get stuck in the why you can. Yeah. Cause you'll never really know the absolute 100% truth. Why? Like there's so many things that can be involved. It's true. You can analyze it forever and, and not an ounce of analyzing it actually helps unless, I mean, it can, if it helps you to make the behavior changes, but the, the, the behavior changes are the same whether you know why you got that way or not. The solution is the same. We right? were just talking about this. Like we were really dissecting this Thank why because we see people get stuck in it and probably because I've gotten stuck in, in mm-hmm. it many times, right? And I'm like, but it doesn't matter what the why is because the action's still the same. Right. The end right. result is change happens from action. And so if you can use the why and the evidence of, you know, why you're sitting in a, in a certain position in life. And you can use that to fuel your desire to, you know, shift it if it needs to, if in a direction that's healthier, that is, you know, offers a better life for you, then great. The, but yeah. even then the why doesn't matter because the action's still the same. Right. And ultimately it's whatever you do repeatedly enough to build new habits. And when you've got those new habits, it doesn't matter what, that's why I tell people, if you love to eat, um, you know, if you just love to eat delicious, healthy food, then just do that. And that'll become your habits and everything else will fall into place. Or, you know, other people don't care what they eat. Like, that's great too. Just, you know, eat, eat from these, you know, kind of categories of food and you'll be fine. But 
Because it's all yeah. habit. We can create habits right. in the other way too. The chips right? are habit right. and the soda's habit. Like we're really, there's all these books on habit, right? How to create habits. Yeah. Well, we, we are experts right. at creating habits. <laughs> exactly. It's just, are we aware of our habits and do we want to keep them? Right. Are they serving yeah. us? Yeah. So I obviously learned all of this after the fact because I did not know this through um, elementary school. No. And I didn't know it going through high school. Um, I probably graduated high school weighing a little bit over 300 pounds. Um, So I was big then. And then um, I went through college. And if we just kind of fast forward to 2005, um, by that point, um, I weighed 360 pounds. I was 33 years old. I was already medicated for high blood pressure. I was resisting. My doctor kept wanting to prescribe medication for high cholesterol. I had eczema on my fingers. I had psoriasis behind my behind my neck here. Um, I got frequent migraine headaches. I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. And all of that led to me being denied a 20-year term life insurance policy when my wife was pregnant with our second son. And that hit me like like a ton of bricks. Like that was my biggest wake-up call. And it was the fact that this company, with all this data that plugged in all of my information, you know, they got an answer out from their algorithm that said, he's probably not a good bet. You know, he might not make it 20 years. Um, don't insure him. That's how, that's how I interpreted that. And for whatever reason, that put me into that forced me to reflect and it forced me to take a really honest, objective look at what was my life really like and, and what was I doing? Um, when, when I did that, I wasn't necessarily happy with, with what I found, you know, there were the obvious and easy things, you know, I worked, um, I would go to meetings a lot at work and I would go to a conference room and many times there were just a lot of armchairs around a table. And I didn't fit in an armchair at 360 pounds. So I would look to see sometimes they had overflow chairs like off to the side that were just stacked chairs. And I would always go try to grab one. I would try to get to a meeting early and grab one of those and put it at the table just so I could sit there comfortably. Or sometimes I would have to wedge myself into that armchair or things like when I would travel on an airplane and I'm walking down the the aisle by myself uh, looking for my seat and Everyone with a seat, empty seat next to them, you know, I would just feel their eyes on me. And maybe they were thinking, not here, not here, not here. And then when I would walk past, you know, I would sense maybe a sigh of relief, right? Like, oh. And then when I did get to my seat, again, I would kind of hover over and wedge myself between the armrests and I would fold my arms across my lap and I would try to take up as little room as possible. But um, all of these things, I'm just saying this to, to say I didn't... When I looked at it, I didn't have the quality of life that I felt like I really wanted. And, and that was motivating for me to, to nudge me towards needing to do something about it. And you didn't, and I've heard you talk about this, but you didn't point the finger at the insurance agency or you weren't looking for some other thing outside of you to, to be the root cause of this. You actually shifted that to what action can I take? I'm curious about this. I know you probably had a feeling that it was going to take a lot of work. You probably already knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had tried several times, you know, I, I, I would lose 20 or 30 pounds and then it would come back 40 or 50 pounds. And then I would lose some weight, you know, all through college, even late through high school. So I didn't pretend that I knew that this was solvable. And I was, I was focused on the weight because that was like the external marker. But it's really, I knew that all of these other things were related, um, you know, to that. But you're, you're absolutely right. And that was the luckiest thing that happened to me when I read that letter from the insurance company. Because if I would have been in a different mood, or maybe if, you know, depending on how I felt, I could have blamed the insurance company. Even when I called my agent, who, who I had been working with for a while, you know, it wasn't just for this insurance. This is somebody who I, you know, do planning with. Um, he said, well, we can go out and we can talk to another company and we'll see. We'll get it. We'll get it insured. But, you know, it's almost like every excuse in the world to not blame myself. Like everything is there. But the problem is when you blame things that you don't have any control over, you're completely helpless. Then you put yourself into a, you know, you're a victim then. 
you know, I'm a victim of the insurance company or I'm a victim of the healthcare system or I'm a victim of society because it's society's fault that I, that I was looked at as not being a, a normal kid or whatever. But as soon as he turned that around and he say, no, it's my fault, right? That's not meant to um, be demeaning or to be depressing or to be anything. It's actually incredibly empowering because as soon as something is your fault, then now you have all the power in the world to do something about it. And that's where it starts to get exciting. And, and I don't know why or how that happened uh, within this case with the insurance company, but it did. And I'm super grateful um, that I didn't start blaming other people or try to laugh it off as a joke. You know, I mean, I have a hundred jokes that I would tell, you know, when I would meet people who I didn't know and I would try to deflect some of this stuff, you know. Mm, yeah. Did you like sell yourself or others on being like the happy fat guy or this is just the way I am or? Sure. And I'm also, I'm six foot four. So it's easy for me to say I'm just a giant, you know, sure. I'm twice as wide as you. I'm also almost twice as tall as you, you know, like there's, there's lots of things. I, I would say I'm actually not fat. I just have super, super, super thick skin and, and stuff like, you know, like you do stuff like that, but, and it's all fine and it, and it's good and, you know, with friends and with family and in public and, and things like that. But, um, the thoughts that really I started to pay attention to are the thoughts that I had when I was like laying in bed at night by myself, you know, where there's no hiding, you know, when you have your own thoughts and you're only thinking about yourself, it's like, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, there, there's nowhere to, de nowhere to deflect. There's nowhere to, no one to pretend to. Like it's, it all becomes very real. I like how you said that it's empowering, you know, when you really take that honest look. Um, and, you know, I had a similar journey, not with my physical body, but probably my relationship to my physical body, but, you know, mindset and, you know, wanting to, to offer more peace and love in the world and then seeing that I wasn't always doing that. And that was, you know, a couple times throughout the day, <laughs> but it is empowering. Um, and so my question is like, do you feel like that's the difference? Like all those times you did those diets or whatever. And so we can look at it and say, well, maybe those diets were calorie restriction or whatever, but really it was like you hadn't, you weren't quite ready yet to look at that ownership and, and turn that into power to take action. Yeah. I, I don't really know why I wasn't able to do that in the past. It's, it's hard to figure out, but I will say that that's a huge factor that helped me with this time that, that was successful for me. And, and I mentioned it briefly, but when, when I say it helped me to reflect my life, I just started asking, is this what I'm willing to settle for? You know, and, and, and that's, you know, I believe in life that we get what we settle for. And, and just learning, like, just even just the thought process, I don't know where the mindset came from. But I was scared, because my second son, his name is Henry, he's 15 years old now, he wasn't born. And, and this company was, I mean, this insurance company told me I wasn't going to see his 20th birthday. So, they didn't, and they don't give you a range. They don't say you're probably going to go 19 years. You know, for all I know that I was going to go six years or, or, you know, or 10 years. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of thinking that I'm like, um, 15, 16 years into a 20 year death sentence right now. And I'm feeling pretty great. <laughs> you, you know, yeah. so, so I, I, I know. And, 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 you know, of course, I ultimately got the insurance policy with no problem in the preferred category and all of that stuff. And we'll, we'll get so so I'm not worried about it now. But that's that's what I was thinking. And and it's like relating it to experience in life. And, and you know, I, I've told this story before, but we my wife and I took my son, Evan, when she was pregnant, my wife and I took my son, Evan, to the fair that pops up in the church parking lot, you know, here and when we were at the fair, we're walking around and he was 18 months old, about around 18 months old. So he's just starting to communicate and you can kind of tell what he likes and doesn't like. And, and that was fun for us. We loved being parents. And previously, you know, much, much younger than that, like you kind of just have to take care of them, but they don't really do very, very much stuff. <laughs> right. So, so we were excited to see him around all this hyper stimulation, you know, like there's lights and there's bells and there's buzzers everywhere. So we're walking around and we're, we're smiling, having fun. 
And then we come around the corner and he sees a train ride. And and he starts like freaking out. I'm holding him against my chest and he's wiggling and he's pointing and he, I'm like, look, he knows he wants to go on this train. You know, and he had had several, you know, Thomas the train was a thing back then and he had all these pull train toys when he was, before he could even walk that he used to play with. And I think this is the first time in his life he saw a train that he could ride on. You know, everything else was toy trains or on the TV. So so he was like, I'm going to go ride on this train. He knew. And so he's pointing and he's saying probably train or Thomas or whatever he's saying. So we, we start walking over there towards the train. And my wife and I are excited because, hey, he knows what he wants to do. And we're going to be able to help him do it. That's cool. So then when we get close, I put my thumbs under his armpits and I go to pull him away to hand him to my wife so she can take him on the ride. Right. And he grabbed my shirt and he wouldn't let go. And it's like he he was holding on to me and I thought, you know, he wants me to take him on the train ride. But, you know, he's got the wrong dad for that <laughs> because, uh, you know, I don't fit on an airplane for people. You know, I barely fit on a train for people. I don't fit on a, a, a kiddie ride train. So um, at least at the time I was stronger than him. So I was able to get him off and hand him to my wife. and And she took him. And they gave their tickets to the attendant. And I was just watching with a big smile on my face. And at this point, I'm sure he did not even remember that I existed because he was getting on the train, right? And then I stood there and the attendant kind of snapped me out of my uh, my stare. And he said, excuse me, sir. I guess I was blocking the gate. He said, you have to stand and wait over here. So I moved over and I'm literally standing there behind a metal fence and I'm watching as my wife and Evan are riding around in circles on this train, having fun and laughing. And two questions popped into my mind. You know, is this the kind of father that I'm going to be? You know, watching from the outside, not being able to participate. And then for my wife, who was pregnant and probably not very comfortable wedging herself onto this train, is this the kind of husband that I'm going to be? You know, so... All, and and the, answer, the answer to both of those questions, you know, I wanted to change. You know, if I didn't, if I didn't make changes, I know the answers to those were going to be yes. I was like, what's next? You know, we're, we're at the, at the kiddie ride. What about when the kids want to go, you know, skiing or snowboarding? We love doing that now in the winter. What about when they want to go for a hike? What about when they're doing their jump rope for heart, you know, that they do in elementary school? What, what am I going to do? I'm just going to sit and watch them you know, for, for my entire life. And that wasn't, that wasn't acceptable to me. Um, so I knew, like, I just, I had to change. I think, well, I think a lot of people get to that point and I don't even say a lot of people, but they get to that point and there's that decision to make of like, I can, I can endure this. I can just endure this. I can, I can make it work because it's unknown. I actually know what I, what I do every day. Like I know, but it takes that courage and actually, bravery to to step up to it and really have that conversation with your heart and say we gotta we gotta change something here yeah i think that's just is that just the way your your brain works i know you don't know why not with but, everything yeah. not with everything but that's exactly what happened at, at that point in time you know like like i guess i think honestly it was just important enough to me and i think i talked myself into a like a rock bottom moment and and you know, we can think a lot about rock bottom. It's really just things could always have gotten worse, right? But but that rock bottom is the point where we choose to turn it around. And for me, that was my threshold. Like I had to do it. It nothing like nothing that I could do as far as um, you know eating foods that were unhealthy for me. You know, no, nothing could. I felt bad enough where where I could do anything. You know, I didn't have to like all those little temporary pleasures and sat temporary satisfaction from different meals or, or treats or snacks or whatever it was, I was willing to give it all up, you know, because this was so much more important to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. And, and it's just, gosh, such an awakening to like, what's our worst fear, right? Death, right? We live in these bodies that are hardwired for survival. And then you're like starting a family. You're you know, you're, you're just at the beginning and there's so much to, to go and, and your one son is so young still. And then the other one's not even born. And here's a calculation that's saying like, no, you're going to die. 
Like we can't. I'm not going to be there. Yeah, for like it. I'm not going to be able to participate. You, we're not going to get the money that we need to keep this business going because we're going to have to pay you out. So we can't. We can't do this. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, if that's not a wake up call, oh my gosh, I don't know what is. Yeah. So let's talk about how you did it. Right. So, so I I did it with I started with another failed attempt. I set a New Year's resolution to give up sweets and soda. You know, this was now towards the end of the year, towards the end of two thousand and five. Um, and I gave up sweets and soda, which is always a good thing. And and I said I was going to eat less, and I set a goal to lose fifty pounds over the year of two thousand and six. And I gave myself some wiggle room. I figured I probably should be able to lose ten pounds a I mean, uh, no, five pounds a month, but I give myself two free months, you know, so I, so I went with 50 pounds instead of 60, you know, because I wanted to be successful. And I thought that was realistic. And I thought that that was a goal I could work towards. So I kept myself hungry. I didn't eat any soda, drink any soda. I didn't eat any sweets. And by the end of uh, February going into March, I had not lost a single pound. And right, because because when I you're, was depressed, when you're that not was getting, depressing. yeah, like when you're oh, not getting yeah. calories, your body's gonna hang on to it. It's like, oh, we need food, yeah, yeah. So that, so, yeah, how did that? So you, you use the so I so I said I need to do something different. I need a plan. Uh, unfortunately, back then the the most popular things were like Adkins. I was already vegetarian. I had been vegetarian since the '90s because that helped me. At one point to lose weight, obviously all of the weight came back, but I felt better. So, and then I, and then I kind of fell in love with the idea of not eating, um, eating meat. So I started Google searching for vegetarian weight loss and for somehow Dr. Furman's book, Eat to Live popped up on Amazon. And so, you know, as a result, but it was on Amazon. So I clicked on that link and it shows a picture of the cover of the book and there's there was this big stamp this is the first edition this stamp is not on there anymore like it's almost like this stamp was there for me and it says fast and sustained weight loss and it and it's i should have had the book standing here <laughs> i still have the book and the pages are completely yellow and everything now but and then but then i read all the reviews and the comments and no one talked about weight loss everyone talked about getting healthy and and I was like, wait, I don't really want to lose weight. What I really want is I want to be like these people. I want to get healthy. And that was another big thing. That was another difference from any previous attempt that I had to lose weight. I was now focused on I'm going to get healthy. And as I get healthy, the weight is going to fall off. And um, so I bought the book and I did it. I just – I. You know, I made plenty of mistakes in the beginning. I didn't do it perfectly from the beginning, but I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to buy it. And whatever this book says to do, I'm going to do it. So I started reading it. And like, as I would read chapter one, I would start doing what it said to do in chapter one. And then I would learn a little bit later that maybe it needs a little adjustment, but I would just continue a- adjusting as I went. And in two months, then by the time Henry was born and came home from the hospital, uh, after two, just two months after buying Eat to Live, I lost 30 something pounds and I was like, wow, this, this really works. And, um, and that was incredibly motivating. I mean, once you lose the first 30 pounds, it's pretty easy just to keep doing what you're doing. And for me, it was very motivating to try to do a little bit better, you know, every, every day, every week, every month to try to refine a little more, to learn a little bit more. I I think I'm grateful that I didn't have so much social media and so many other resources back then. I just kept reading the same book over and over. I kept reading that book. In the back, there were frequently asked questions. I would read those one at a time. And I would I went on Dr. Furman's website and I read the other success stories. And and that's all I did. I mean, I mean, when I say that's all I did, I didn't go looking for exploring for other options or other ways to do this. I was like, okay, this is my this is my path. I'm going to stick to it. I love that you pulled. <laughs> I'm going to talk about two. This things. is like BJ's dream yeah. subject, like just stay, stay repetition, stay focused on yeah. one thing. <laughs> but you pulled your goal, so you're so driven to the goal of weight loss, and this is the same thing we do with our athletes. Like they're so driven on hitting a certain pace for a run, when the actual um, the the actual real goal is way above that. It's way above yeah. that. It's there's so many other factors. The faster pace or the losing the weight is just one 
is one part of this higher goal that you need to that you need to focus on. Right. It's like one measure. Really, it's just a piece of information at the end of the day, like the weight. But, you know, for me, it's what, you know, for people who need or want to lose weight, it's a very easy one to measure. It's very objective. So, so I think it's helpful, but yeah. And that's how I, that's how I was like, I, my goal totally changed. I wanted to get healthy. And how did you stay, I don't know how, if you can answer this, but how did you just stay focused on something like this? Because there are so many, I know you didn't have social media, but you know, I'm sure you were in a community of people and people were like, oh, let me help you read this book or, or, you know, your grandmother or somebody's like, check this out. Like, yeah. How did you I stay mean, focused? Every, <laughs> I think I just, I think that's me. Okay. I think I'm okay to, to get hyper-focused and I get hyper-focused on all kinds of different things, whether it's hobbies or work or this, in this case, I let it, I became obsessed with, with the process of, of getting healthy, which, um, I was fine with it. I think it was a, it was a, a reasonable obsession to have given where I was starting. But, um, I just, I just kept trying to do better. And I kept, I loved watching the scale. I weighed myself and I wouldn't recommend this to everyone, but I weighed myself three times a day. Well, two times a day, I weighed myself morning and night. And I learned so much in doing that. I learned that I could lose five pounds overnight, but you know, not, I mean, not, I, or and I could gain five pounds during the day, <laughs> you know. So so I would wake up in the morning, and that would be the weight that I would you know quote unquote like record. But then when I went to bed at night, sometimes that was you know much higher, you know, especially depending on how hydrated I was and those kinds of things. And then I would weigh myself the next morning, and so I just learned my patterns and I watched it. And even though no matter what I was doing with my diet, meaning I kept continuing to improve it, I was losing eight pounds a month, and. And it was just every month. And sometimes I wouldn't lose weight for two weeks. And then all of a sudden it would, it would drop a couple of pounds and it would drop a couple more pounds and there would be the eight pounds, you know, for, for the month. And it, so it was just interesting to use the weight as a pretty objective measure and not to attach any emotion to it. I didn't feel good about myself when I lost weight and I didn't feel bad about myself when I didn't or when I gained a couple of pounds. I just watched this number because after that, after the first two months, I just had so much confidence in the process that it was easy to just stick with it. It's so interesting how you're just gathering information about like, oh, my my weight actually fluctuates every day. So when we're super fixated on like, I want to get down to 150, I want, I got to right. get to 150, where we're like we're limiting this uh, this natural process of fluctuation. Like overnight, our body is healing. We're getting rid of you know we're absorbing nutrients and water, and we don't you know dinner is getting digested and all of that. And everything it's always changing. So really, when you focus yeah. it to how do you feel and are you healthy, the mm -hmm. the weight loss is going to take care of itself. And I'm assuming that you hit one point where you're just like the body was like kind of dropped in was like, this is our weight. Yeah, exactly. So I'll speed through the rest. So by the end of that, by the end of 2006, I had lost a total of 90 pounds. So I blew away my goal of losing 50 pounds for the year. And I had more energy than ever. So then I decided at that point, I was going to start exercising. And, and I say that because I didn't do a sink, I didn't do a step of purposeful exercise during the year of 2006. I mean, if you think about it, you know, we had a newborn and a toddler at home. I commuted an hour each way to a job that I probably worked 10 hours a day. Like, you know, it wasn't that I had um, a lot of time on my hands and, you know, getting home then with a newborn and a toddler was, was a lot. But um, now I just felt like I wanted to do it. So, and I wanted to run. My wife was always a runner and I used to go to races and hold her stuff and meet her at spots and take her gloves from her or hand her whatever she, you know, whatever she needed, whatever she thought she was going to need at whatever mile she thought she was going to need it. And, um, but I was always watching again, a little bit like being outside that train, you know, I was, I was watching someone else participate. So, um, I wasn't good at it. <laughs> you know, we had a treadmill. My wife wanted to buy a treadmill when we bought our house and I was insistent that we get a, a good one meaning one that I could use if I was motivated. And what we bought it when I was 360 pounds. So we ended up buying a, a, you know, probably like a gym grade treadmill. So we had it in the basement. So I just started going on it for a half hour. 
and I would just play with the speeds. I would run for as long as I could, and then I would slow it down to a walk. And then I would, when I recovered, <laughs> I would bump it up. And I mean, I was running for like, I don't know, a minute or two minutes in the beginning, but I just continued and it became fun to me. And then I could see to the point where I could run, you know, one, a quarter mile. So like the virtual lap thing on the, on the thing, I could run like one lap around the track and then I would take a little break and then I would run another lap around the, you know, and when I say take a break, I would just walk. I'd always alternate between walking and running. Then I could run one mile. Then I could run a mile and a half and take a very short break and I could run another mile and a half. And when, as soon as I could do that, I joined the running club at work and they ran a series of 5k races. So in March, I ran my first out, uh, my first outdoor run was at a 5k race and I ran it in like 27 minutes. And, um, and after, you know, that's like three months after not being able to run for a minute or so. And it was another confirmation that my body was working. I just credit the, the, you know, the way my body was actually getting tuned up. And it was fun for me. And it was exciting to be the person who was getting the bib and, and to stash my own stuff, you know, so that I could come back and get it after the race and, and not to be the one who was outside watching, but to be the one who was participating. And after I ran that one, like I was hooked. And I knew that my life was going to consist of you know, living a healthy lifestyle, eating a healthy diet and enjoying you know, physical activity in ways that I had never, ever been able to do before in, in my entire life. And just like living a better life, right? Yeah, This exactly. is it, people. This is the recipe. <laughs> and uh, I want to touch upon one thing about the food. So that January 1st, you went into you know caloric deprivation. You were hungry. You gave up soda, sweets, all of that. Lasted two months. Didn't. Didn't lose any weight, which, as you said, felt very depressive. Um, so when you got Dr. Furman's book, like, was there calorie deprivation? Was there, like, what was it? Like, what was I don't what know, because I didn't pay attention to anything other than eat more vegetables, eat more fruit, you know, eat beans every day, and have some nuts and seeds. So you were like, eating, that's what I, eating a That's lot. what I paid attention to. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it ended up, and I started... It was always eat more for me. Yes. It was, it was, you know, I never used to eat breakfast or if I did maybe once a week I would have, but it would be like an egg and cheese sandwich, uh, you know? Yeah. And then I said, well, I was at work and they had this fantastic fruit bar that I walked right past every day for, you know, for the first five years I worked there. So I said, well, Hey, if I'm, if my goal is to eat more fruits and vegetables, like I can start by just going and eating the a container of fruit every single morning. It was like cut pineapple and melon. And sometimes they had berries and I made out well on those days because I would, they, I paid by weight, you know, so, so, <laughs> so, um, but I, so I said, okay, I'm going to have a, a it, it worked out to be about a pound is what fit in here. So I ate a pound of fruit for breakfast every day when I never used to have breakfast. So it was about, you know, having, it was always about eating more fruits and vegetables. And then when we, I would go out to lunch with my friends, so if we would go to the pizza place, in the very beginning, I would still order two slices of pizza. You know, that's what I used to order. But I wouldn't touch the pizza until I ate my, my gigantic salad. And, and we know how that goes. Eventually, after having you know a pound of fruit for breakfast and you eat this huge salad, you're not going to eat two slices of pizza. And then, and then it turned into one slice of pizza with no cheese. And um, you know, up here they call it like the bruschetta pie. You know, it just has like chopped up tomatoes on it and it, and uh, on a piece of bread. And then eventually, you can just get rid of the whole the whole pizza, and that comes becomes something that you can eat very occasionally because the salad has. The, this one salad that I used to get at this um, pizza place, it had chopped pear and it had chopped apple in it and it had a, a few walnuts and it had some dried cranberries. And like there's just so much flavor and it was so satisfying just like that, that eventually, you know, you get rid of the pizza and then just eating this gigantic salad for lunch and then coming home and, and steamed vegetables, dishes, you know, it, 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 I didn't cook fancy meals, but it was delicious. To, it was good enough to me. And it was... Um, and it was very filling. Yeah, and I think we got the deprivation again. Like the de the deprivation just doesn't work when you when we know that eating as much fruits and vegetables as you can works. And you're right. gonna you're gonna stop eating at some point because there's so much fiber, and you're gonna get that sati satiation in the gut where um, 
And I would say, especially to somebody who's first transitioning, like that's, that's exactly true. And then I have seen in myself and others, you know, 10 years in 20, you know, like, you know, maybe I do feel like I could eat too many fruits and vegetables right now because I'm really, really good at it, <laughs> you know, but, but definitely, you know, I always, I, I think of it as the rate of change that determines your results. So going from eating ice cream, you know, at night and, and having, you know, cheese stuffed crust pizza for lunch with garlic sauce on top of it or whatever it is, or, you know, or in grilled cheese sandwiches and French fries, like going from that to eating salads and, and fresh cut fruit, that's a huge change. And I think that it's fair for someone to expect huge results um, in making that change. Two observations of what you just shared. Um, one on the treadmill, I picture you on the treadmill, like pushing up the speed and lowering the speed having no hang up on how much volume you need to go. What is the speed? What is your heart rate? What you just started. And the same thing with the fruit and vegetables, you weren't asking how much fruit do I need to right. eat and getting all caught up in the details of things, which can again, stunt the growth into what is your higher purpose, which is just health, just start somewhere. Just to feel better. Yes. Yeah. To enjoy myself more ultimately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I wasn't so smart that I knew I wanted to do it that way. That's just how it played out. And as we look back, I do think it's very valuable and reasonable for, for you and me to look back on the situation and to try to pick out these pieces. Because I do think that if someone else can learn from that, then I think that's that's um, that's valuable. I certainly learned learned it as it going through. And now I can, you know, continue to live my life with that new understanding. But um yeah, I think you're exactly right. That's exactly Just what it. Keep things it simple. Out. It's it's yeah. simple. We get so caught up in in uh, all this other stuff. So I think simply yeah. what I take away from it is just 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 start and keep it yeah. super simple. Don't overcomplicate it. We're so good at that. What would you yeah. What would you say to somebody who's stuck in that start stop mm. start stop start stop like they're starting and then they're stopping because it's not working. They're starving. They're miserable. It's they're not losing any weight. Yeah. So what, what I say is that the only thing that matters is the permanent changes that you can make. And I would rather somebody make a committed change that, let's say, if their goal is to be fully 100% plant-based, I would rather see somebody make a full commitment to go 10% plant-based when they're starting or to go 20% and but commit to it. Like draw a hard line. Pick one food that you are going to eat every day. And then eat it, you know, like, let's say you're going to have a half a bag of baby carrots every day and then just do it. Or let's say you're going to have like, like you're going to have an apple and a banana for breakfast every day and then just do that. Like, don't make it so hard that you fail and then you feel all those feelings of because as soon as you fail, you say this didn't work. I can't do this. You know, this isn't good. This isn't right for me. You tell yourself all those things and your body listens. You know, so so pick a really easy goal, but but it's permanent change because as we talked a little bit about habits in the beginning, you just have to do it long enough to where it becomes easy and automatic and enjoyable. And then when you make it, you know, through that, when you've had a, a banana for breakfast, a banana and an apple for breakfast for six months, maybe you're ready to change your lunch a little bit. You know, and then you're ready to make another change. Like, I also don't think it has to be a race. We're, people are, are incredibly impatient. I'm impatient with a lot of things in my life. But lifestyle change, I don't think it's fair for us to, to be impatient with ourselves. We can't expect to get these changes in such a short period of time um, because we set ourselves up for failure. You know, we have too, too high of expectations. It is hard. It's, it's very easy to live this way. It's very easy to eat this way. But it's really hard to change. So that change, that period of change is finite. And it doesn't matter if somebody goes all in and they can keep that period of change down to six or eight months. Like that's great. But someone else, maybe that, maybe that change takes you two years. So it's going to take a lot of effort over those two years to make the change. But just know that at the finish line, like this is easy. It's automatic. You know, it's unconscious decisions. You know, I haven't been quote unquote tempted to eat anything that's not whole food plant-based in probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years, you know, <laughs> I still haven't had a soda or, or, a, or a, 
sweets or a cookie or a slice. I've never had a slice of Henry's birthday cake, you know, in my entire life. And and it doesn't matter. Like, it's easy because I never do it. <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. It's so good. I love your perspective on it. And, you know, as you know, we've interviewed every all but two of the doctor current on the roster yeah. of plant-based telehealth and and the story that's coming up for me is dr miller's story that took her a long time like she was doing all the right things she's like i'm not getting better like wow yeah. and then for her it was like oof it was mindset i gotta relax i gotta start going Stress. to yoga mm-hmm. right so we gotta find like our thing but being aware of when that wall comes up right what is that wall and you know can i whew, take a breath get honest with myself where am I now? And, and is there a gap between who I want to be? And then exactly. what's that first, the first and next? The question is always, what's the first? And then the next question is, what's the next logical step that I need to, to make? And, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a more peaceful way to look at yeah, it. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I you agree. Know. I agree. Okay, so this all, this is what I love about the, the journey is that all yeah. this stuff and, going to New Jersey and coming back and the kids yeah. asking me why you gained all the weight and the, you know, the unhealthy <laughs> lifestyle and the no life insurance policy. It all led you up to this amazing creation that the world is now benefiting from, um, which is plant-based yeah. telehealth. And so I want to know like, okay, so now you're doing the lifestyle change. Things are getting better. Life is more enjoyable. Yeah. But now there's a whole professional track that happens that you shift around and then which ends up being now this this current uh, platform for people to have access to plant-based lifestyle medicine all over the world. So yeah. take us through. It, sound, you, it sounds so big when you say it that. It is so big. <laughs> Dude, this is like life change. Nobody was doing this. Wow. And now yeah. you've created this. And I think like well, I want to shine the biggest light I can on this because <laughs> – this is such a game changer, right? This is such a game changer. Um, we've seen it in other industries, and now we're seeing it in medicine, and that's amazing. And to be birthed yeah. in the most challenging time in recent years that we've had yeah. to have this come out. like, But maybe like the best the time. The best time, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I do have thoughts on that, uh-huh. and I can share both sides of that. Yeah. But um, yeah, so so how it started, so, so I'll just, I guess, just to wrap up the story. So by September of 2007... I had lost a total of 160 pounds. I was on no more medications. Um, and, and to your point earlier, my weight loss, my, my lifestyle and diet stayed exactly the same. And I stopped losing weight. Uh, August 2007, I weighed 197 pounds. September, by the end of September, 197 pounds. By the end of October, 197 pounds. And that's even with all, and I continue to run further and further. I also ran my first half marathon that same September. You know, at the same time that that my so it didn't matter how much I was exercising or anything, my body found its 197 pounds, and um, and it's stayed within that range. You know, I would say plus or minus maybe five, sometimes ten pounds for the next 15 years. So I and oh, and I got the insurance policy <laughs> in the preferred category. So, which was other news for me because I had put so much thought into what they, what they went through to deny me that I was willing to accept that now they put me into the preferred category, which probably means I don't need the insurance, which means they think I'm going to live for a really long time. And that just makes me happy because I'm going to be an active part of my, uh, active part of my kids' lives for a long, long time. So. That's so cool. That, like from high risk to no, preferred. sorry, you're not going to live <laughs> I, 20 years I, to yeah. now being like <laughs> the one who they're making their money off of. <laughs> right, right. And, and I, you know, I didn't expect that. I thought I was going because I wanted to document that this is what I did. And they were going to tell me to come back in two years to see if I maintained it, you know, because I didn't expect them to think that I was going to be able to continue this. I didn't expect that I was going to be able to, you know, I was, I expected I did, but I wasn't certain that I was going to be able to continue these results either. But, but I guess they had enough confidence. So I let, I'll take it. (laughs) So, so all this time I'm working in pharmaceutical research at Novartis and I was on a campus here in New Jersey. That's, that was about 500 acres and there were about 10,000 people on this campus. So I transferred my own health. I mean, all of my 
colleagues and coworkers were excited for me. I had several opportunities to present. I spoke with people in the cafeterias about what we could do to make healthy, you know, healthy choices. So I, I was helping in the community, but I couldn't help this thing in the back of my mind that kept saying, you know, maybe 80% of what we do here is just to allow people or enable people to continue to live unhealthy lives. Meaning if we didn't have medication for something like um, like uh, pre-diabetes or, or type 2 diabetes, then people would have to find other ways to control that. Or if we didn't have medication for high blood pressure, or if we didn't have medication for high cholesterol, you know, what would people do? They might be pushed to make lifestyle changes. So the disconnect kind of, it, it, you know, I was excited to work and I came from, my first job was at the National Institutes of Health. And that's where I learned that people could actually go to work for a bigger purpose. You know, I, I normally thought people went to work to make money, but, but these were people who were dedicating their lives to figuring out human genetics so that future populations could live longer, healthier, you know, higher quality of life. So I was fascinated by that. Then take that to the pharmaceutical company. Now it's even a step closer to helping because now I'm making contributions towards new medications that are actually helping people to realize these things, not just understand it, but on a daily basis. And very similar to what we're doing today, we had patients come on campus and they were incredibly grateful for the, for the medications that they, that we produced and how it changed and improved their quality of life. So a lot of it I felt great about, but I, I couldn't get over the fact that so much of it was enabling um, in, in the chronic disease space, you know, versus, versus other conditions that, I mean, and I'm grateful for my blood pressure medicine. It's part of what enabled me to make my change, but I am not thrilled about the idea of someone going on at a young age and just being on it forever with continuing to increase doses over time until it becomes way too complicated you know? So, so, um, I just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to replace my income. I didn't know how to support my family. I didn't know all of these things. So I just volunteered a whole lot in the, in the space of whole food, plant-based nutrition. I got to know everyone, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't the community that it is now, you know, back in 2007, 2009, you know, 2010 even. So, so it was fun. I was able to do a lot and I kind of, you know, have my, have my job. And then I kind of fulfilled my need to help people in a different way, you know, after hours, which I know many of us do, but, um, but I did always want more. So I never stopped kind of looking for an opportunity to do that. And then my wife watched the minimalist. Um, we had already read Maria Kondo's, you know, tidying up and we were getting rid of stuff that didn't bring us joy and all of those things. And then she watched the Netflix documentary, the minimalist. And she said, maybe we should, maybe we should um, become minimalists. And at the time, you know, we had six and a half acres of property. We had a big house and a big barn and a big garden and a skateboard bowl and a dirt bike track. And we had all this stuff, you know, to, that, that required me to make a lot of money to be able to take care of, you know, so, so. The fact that she wanted to do this and I was ready to make a change. And so we did. We just we got rid of almost everything. We went from uh, a 4000 square foot house on six and a half acres of property. And we had an attic, a basement and a barn filled with stuff to a two bedroom condo that was uh, about eleven hundred square feet. And we put all four of us. My kids started sharing rooms when my uh, older son uh, was going into high school. <laughs> then they went from having their own rooms and, and, um, to sharing twin bunk beds. I mean, you know, to having twin bunk beds in a room and, um, and everyone was a great sport. It was a family decision, but we decided to do that. And it really freed up a, a lot of opportunity in life. And then I, my plan was then to work for a couple of years and save money to, so that I could kind of self fund something going, you know, going forward, whatever I decided I wanted to do, or at least some time to explore. And then I had an opportunity to leave earlier and, and I just took it. So I left Novartis in August of 2018 and I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. I, I had just earned, I think, my health coaching certification. So I thought I could coach, but I knew I had a few years where I could kind of explore and figure out what I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, so, so I just looked. And 
it came, it literally came to me overnight. It was in January of 2019. So, so I was helping people in January, 2019. I realized that people don't have access. First, I realized people don't have access to plant-based doctors. And when you go to a conference like a plant stock or a national health association conference, these are places not where doctors are going to learn from other physicians, but these are where the public are coming to learn from these kind of authorities in the plant-based field, right? So it's, um, it's, it's a general public in the audience. And you have a doctor who shares a success case. I think in this case, it was um, Dr. Sarai Stancic. She was speaking. She was sharing her story about recovering from multiple sclerosis. And I think she talked about a couple of patients that she was helping. And someone in the audience stood up during the Q&A session and they raised their hand and they say, I'm so-and-so and I'm suffering from a similar condition. Where can I find a doctor who can help me? And there was no answer. I mean, there's a whole bunch of questions. You know, we fly to New Jersey. We fly to Cleveland to see Dr. Esselstyn. We, you know, we, will a phone call be good enough? But, but there was nowhere that somebody could just say, you know, go here and schedule an appointment because it's incredibly complicated because with state licensing and, and all of these things that, that have to come into place in order to make lifestyle medicine accessible. But um, my background in computer science kind of led me to understand the technology. And then my experience of knowing so many doctors in the field who were just as frustrated as that patient, because I know, I know several doctors who had started up practice and, and they were just trying to find patients. Right. So so we have a lot of doctors who want to who want to find patients. We have a lot of patients who want to find doctors and there's no place for them to meet. So um, I woke up one morning and I think I wrote about four or five pages and it turned out to be the business plan and all of the reasons why we should do this and or why. Yeah. Why I should why this needed to be done, whether it was me or anyone. And and it goes all the way back to. um even when doctors are practicing lifestyle medicine, they're doing it in isolation. You know, there's not, I mean, the nine doctors, you should see them when, when they're all together. You should have them all on at once. And, and just basically, you don't even have to say anything. You just you just throw one thing out there. And like the, the conversation's incredible. And they're all talking about different ways that they help people. And they're talking about different ways, like this works with this patient. What works? What do you guys see when you, when you, when you see this? And like, they're co truly collaborating and they're learning from each other. And I think that, the, I think that's fantastic. I think we're going to collect data that no one else has because we're going to be able to have so many patients that we're going to be, we're going to be able to collect enough data to share that with insurance companies <clears throat> and with places who want to see. I mean, I can imagine showing an insurance company, hey, I have, um, I have data on 200 uh, diabetics who you insure and they paid out of pocket and this is what they did and they went from here to here and now they, because they paid out of pocket, they're saving you $15,000 a year each. You know, we, we need to we, we need to show this to, to the people who are paying for it so that they'll start to reimburse it and make it more accessible. But but having one doctor collecting the data is is going to be, you know, it's going to be hard. But we're if we're having nine or 12 or, you know, 25 doctors who are on the platform and all the data is going to one place, it's just going to be right. So there's so in addition to having access, it will help to really I, my goal, my real goal is to shift the healthcare needle from the management to the prevention and reversal of disease. And so it, it all just adds up. And, and I couldn't think of a bad reason or a reason not to do it, except that it was going to be expensive and it was going to be hard. <laughs> but, but, but luckily I was a minimalist, so I didn't have any other bills. So I figured I could just dump everything into this and, and, uh, and give it a yeah, try. Yeah, and you've already done hard things. You've already done <laughs> yeah. hard things. You transformed your health, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, it's so magnificent. And, and I love that you touched upon the collaboration because we've heard from all the doctors, like, uh, and starting with Dr. Marbus, we, we had her on first that, you know, you guys they come together for these meetings. And it's like, it's, I'm not just working with Dr. Davis, like Dr. Davis, if she, if, if there's the kind of like, we got a snafu or whatever, she's going to bring my case mm -hmm. 
to the other doctors to get the expertise, like from Dr. Zhu or Dr. Um, Zacharias or whatever it is. Like they've got this living encyclopedia of knowledge and experience. So it's, yeah, like I'm seeing so-and-so, Dr. So-and-so, but I'm getting the benefit of the entire right. organization. And you have some great minds in that really organization. Oh my yeah, gosh, it, it's so exciting. It's incredible how it's came together. And 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 also the great minds are in that organization. But then as you well know, even the people who are not in our organization are also so generous. Like meaning like Dr. Furman, Dr. McDougall, doc, you know, all of these, Dr. Esselstyn, you know, all of these guys, if we have questions, I mean, someone in that collection of doctors at plant-based telehealth also knows someone else who, who will be very willing and, and able to, to share additional information. So yeah, you're exactly right. It's a, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, a big brain trust. <laughs> There's a lot of knowledge that access there and you're right. It doesn't matter who you, which doctor you're seeing, you're getting that collective knowledge, you know, applied to you during your appointment. And a collective knowledge from like, from like-minded individuals who understand the body's capacity and inherent wisdom, like to heal. Yeah, exactly. It's so cool. So if someone's, I always like to wrap, wrap this into it. Like if someone's listening to this, they're like, Oh my God, like that's, that's exactly what I, that's what I need. Like I'm scared because it's outside yeah. my doctor that I can see face to face, but I, I I feel this pull like you did that day you woke up and it just came to you. Like I feel this pull to connect with these people. How do how do they do that? Like how how what's the first step? Yeah. So the first step is you go to plantbasedtelehealth.com and there's a registration form right on the front page of the website and you can just register as a patient. And then you'll get an email that that explains, you know, how to choose a doctor. There are some requirements. Not all doctors are licensed in all 50 states. So Every patient sees whichever doctor they want as long as it's legal, as long as they're licensed to see them. So you have to go, you can you can either search by state or you can read the doctor's bios and you can see which state that they're practicing in. But then you select your doctor. And the appointments are $150 for 30 minutes and they're $300 for 60 minutes. So it's it's you know, it the rate is 150 per half hour. It's up to the patient whether they want a half hour or an hour. I will say that the doctors always prefer a one-hour appointment just because it lets them do a lot more with the patient, but we don't want to require a one-hour first appointment because we also don't want it to be cost prohibitive for people. We really want it to be accessible. So the doctors do have extensive intake questionnaires. Once you schedule your appointment, you'll receive these intake questionnaires so you can actually share your background, you can share your lifestyle, you can tell them how you eat, you can tell them about your sleep patterns, your exercise routines all of that ahead of time, and they make that investment in each of their patients, they read that before your appointment. Mm -hmm. So with all, it's all with the intention of making that productive, whether you have a half hour or a half hour with them, I mean, or an hour. And I'll just note that Dr. Clapper does charge a little bit more. He charges $50 more per half hour um, than the other doctors. Because he's Clapper. Because he's Clapper. He can do that. I mean, truthfully, it's, we're incredibly grateful to have him to have him on the platform. And, and it's a little... You know, and and I think it's very fair, a very fair rate to see him. It's, it's also he's trying to be accessible to as many people well, as possible. You know, there's there's an energy exchange here that's very important, and the investment keeps things very clean. And I've learned yes. this through running retreats and camps and things like that. That people think like, well, the camp is five days. That's what I'm paying for, and you know, 150 divided right. by 30 minutes. I'm paying this way. No, you're not. That's it's kind of right. like it's kind of like weight loss, right? It's that's just one data point. You are paying right. for the preparation of the intake form, for the doctor's thoughtfulness in reviewing that form, for the preparation. Like there's hours actually of yeah. work that is going into this 30-minute face-to-face time. So that face-to-face time is the, is for the highest exchange and the highest good. And there's extreme right. value there. Um, and I think that when I've, I've trained my own mind to expand yeah. and look at like, okay, it's not just the 30 minute or the 60 minute visit. It's, 
it's so much more. And I've, I've learned it from the back end in, in planning different things, like a retreat for two years. They think, oh, it's seven, seven days. No, it's actually two <laughs> years of work to prepare this experience for you, um, for all of us to share um, for the highest good. And I think that what a beautiful way to look at medicine and that, you know, the investment, I think the investment in self is so important in honoring the commitment the commitment and the action that goes along with that financial investment. So important. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. And I couldn't agree with you more. And, um, and some patients, I would, I don't, I, we don't know enough yet to say most patients or a lot of patients, but some patients get all of that money reimbursed from their insurance company. Because while we don't bill insurance, we provide what's called a super bill and that's a receipt that includes all the doctor's information and their provider number. It includes all the diagnosis codes that they diagnose the patient with during the visit, and it includes the treatment codes. And, and that's all ready for anyone to submit to their insurance company. And the reason we can't predict it is because the plans vary so much, meaning that people have a very high deductible plan. So they have a low premium, but they know they're going to be paying some out of pocket or, or some plans have no out of network benefits. But, but uh, we know for sure that, that some patients get reimbursed the full $150 because sometimes the checks accidentally come to us and we have to, we have to you know, um, we have to actually, in that case, they're made out to us. So we actually have to deposit those checks and then reimburse the, the patient their payment. So we do know it works. And, and that's promising um, as well. Yeah. And the doctors are working really hard to mimic, well, the whole team is to try to mimic the in-person process as soon as possible. So back to your question about how to get started. If someone is not super tech technical, just go to the website, go to the contact page, and there's a phone number. And all you have to do is call it. And then we can guide, we can guide anyone directly through the entire process. Um, so, so we don't, we, we really don't want there to be any technical obstacles for anyone either. Like we, we will help. We can do the registration. We can do the scheduling. We can do everything except for your appointment. We can do that over the phone and then we can help patients to get into their um, patient portal so that they can have this experience where you're not only talking with your doctor, you are seeing the doctor when you go over your um, lab reports or anything like that, the doctor will share the screen and go over it line by line with you. So in my mind, it's really, we're trying to replicate everything that would happen in a normal exam room, but do it better because now it's focused on optimal health and it's focused on wellness and it's focused on prevention of disease rather than just, you know, do you need medication or not? Oh my God. It's so it. magnificent. <laughs> and I'm so glad that we, um, that you came on today to just give this other, uh, perspective, you know, from, from the creator, you know, really this, this seed was, was presented to the world by you. And it's such a gift. And I, like I said in the intro, I can't imagine if you didn't decide and then back it up with action to make this transformation because it's, you know, countless, 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 because I know it's just going to grow and grow and grow how you are positively affecting the health of others and empowering people to, um, to enjoy their life. Yeah. Which I think is a birthright. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So thank you so much for coming on today. We so appreciate your time. Love to get to know you. And um, I think it'd be super cool after we interview everyone to have like a plant-based doctor throw down. Like mm. we bring them all on. And just, <laughs> that would be great. We'll, you should do that. We'll just throw them some bait and just let them chew on it and share their I gifts. can imagine you just put them in a circle and like throw an apple in the middle and just see what happens. I or something love like it. That. That's so cool. Anthony, thank you yeah. so much. You're very welcome. Thank you.